So shout it. Go on and scream it from the mountains. Go on and tell it to the masses that He Amen. It's a good Sunday, isn't it? It's just, just good to have these guys back up here, and just what a blessing they are. Thank you for teaching us. It's fun at the same time having John and Cheryl here. Wasn't that neat to have him back in the, the saddle? I, um, I was thinking about them just as they're teaching uh, worship this morning, just what a blessing that, that was, but even thinking about the, the fact that in eternity, I'm going to be out of a job. You know what I'm saying? Like, there, there's nothing left for me. These guys are going to have a, a booming career. And so excited about that. A lot of times we get confused thinking that the worship is to set up the preaching. But the truth is, teaching and preaching is to make us better worshipers, right? And so excited this morning to get a chance to uh, worship the Lord together with these guys. And another thing that was fun for me this week uh, coming in is my dad was in town. And so you can say hi to everybody. It was... Uh, a blessing here from Chicago. Well, we're continuing in the, the series of James, and uh, if you guys have your Bible, you can start turning there. We're in chapter 2 here this morning. But as I was thinking about the topic this morning of talking about partiality, which is a, a tough topic in and of itself, I was thinking through different experiences in my life where I've accidentally made an assumption about somebody based on their appearances. Have you guys ever done this before? Found yourself like making an assessment by the way somebody looks and you come to some conclusions? I was uh, on Rodeo Drive with my friend uh, Checky. Why do people in Beverly Hills get to determine how you pronounce rodeo? <laughs> That's just like a fancy way. Rodeo? Who said that? But anyway, I was on Rodeo Drive with my friend a few years back and we were uh, car watching uh, as, a side, as a pastime I enjoy and just observing different cars and we were walking down this sidewalk and um, felt the safety to, to be able to dialogue about, uh, about the different cars on this block just based on the people that were around. It was just me and my friend Joe and then a, a homeless guy that was a few feet ahead of us walking and, and we were just talking about this particular red Ferrari and we were saying, man, like why did he ruin that car with that white stripe right down the center of this beautiful red car? We are talking about how that just wrecked the look of it and it was worthless, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we were chatting about it, and uh, a few steps ahead of us, you can guess where this is going, this guy in, in run-down, ratty clothes and shaggy hair does, pulls out the keys and does the chirp, chirp, hops in the car. And I'm like, oh, I'm ripping this guy's Ferrari, and he's not homeless. He's, uh, <laughs> he, he's clearly successful, and uh, I just had the wrong assessment of this uh, worn out looking guy with his shaggy clothes and shaggy hair. I don't know if you've done that before, but uh, we joke about those scenarios, but how true it is in our culture to get just sucked into the idea of making assessments of people based on appearances. And the danger is, is those assessments then impact the way we treat people. They impact the way we treat people based on the assessments that we make. And that's called partiality. 
That's called partiality, showing partial treatment to somebody based on what we think about them, the assessments that we've made, the, 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 the way that they look or the prestige that they may carry. And the text this morning we're going to look at is a, is, a, is a direct challenge against that. It's a direct challenge against that. And what I've noticed in my life is that this idea of, of prejudices and judgments runs deeper than maybe we like to admit it's a subtle sin. It's something that sneaks in. If you think about it, back in the South, many years back, the, there's Christian slave owners. Like, how did that happen? It's subtle. It sneaks in. It gets a, it gets a root and gets deep. And so this morning, the, the prayer is, is that God would do a work in us, in our heart, that he would educate our conscious, conscience in this area. So let me pray for that here this morning. Dear God, we just come to you right now, just humbly, just recognizing that we have this propensity to play the role of judge, that we make assessments on people that aren't accurate, we make judgments based on appearances, on prestige, and all these different areas we're going to look at this morning. I pray that you do a work on us, that you'd mold us and shape us to be more like yourself. I pray that we'd recognize maybe this isn't a message for the guy down the row, that maybe it's a word that you have for us here this morning. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as a little bit of a recap, we've been going through a series of different tests that we experience in the life of a believer. And I, I talked about uh, the test that I had looming this past week. Who can remember what that was? The driver's test. And my wife, <laughs> my wife was teasing me because... Thank the Lord for grace and second chances because test number one, fail. <laughs> and uh, my wife and I took the test together and she, she's like, uh, she's, she went a little bit before me and she walks off. She's like, I passed and missed none. And I'm like, I'm like, well, I'm almost done here. I turned it in and I, I failed the first attempt. <laughs> I guess you need to prepare for these tests. And the, the wording, does anybody remember the wording in those tests? It's unbelievable. And so, and so I, had to like, I, had to like, I had to get more serious in round two. Thank the Lord, I'm here legal to drive. Um, but our, by recap, we've been talking about the test of, of trials, how we respond to trials in our life. We d- dealt with the test of how we deal with temptation in our life. How we respond to God's word was last week, what we do with it, if we're just hearers or doers. Hopefully that impacted us even the last seven days. Then here this morning is more dealing with our response to others, how we deal with other people, people that are maybe not like ourselves, how we respond. Is it with partiality? Take a look in verse 1 of chapter 2 in James. So James 2.1, as we dive into the text, it says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Pause there. Again, my brothers, show no partiality. He doesn't keep us wondering. This helps as a, somebody that's preparing and diving into a text because a lot of times it's a little bit confusing as where the tr- text is going. This morning, not real confusing, talking about partiality. He starts right out of the gates in the chapter just saying, show no partiality. He's talking to brothers, other believers, and this idea of partiality, as I mentioned, is elevating one person over another. There's no room for this 
in the life of someone, look back to the text, in the life of someone that's holding the faith, holding the faith, the faith, the, the gospel message, this just doesn't work. The whole idea of partiality and an all-inclusive gospel, they don't work well together. The gospel, if you think about it, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's whosoever, whosoever, right? That's not very partial. Believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The, 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 both of those, those terms there, for the world and the whoever, is not very partial. It's not partial. So those of us that are holding to the faith, the idea of the, the gospel message, that's the faith, it doesn't work to be partial. It's contradictory and incompatible. Romans 2.11 says this about our God. For God shows no partiality. For God shows no partiality. Or Deuteronomy 10.17. Jot this one down in your notes if you're a note keeper. This is a, a fantastic passage. Deuteronomy 10.17. For the Lord your God is God, is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. Then look, who is not partial and takes no bribes. I love that. I'm going to read that again. For the Lord your God is God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribes. It's a reminder of his greatness. Because notice in the text, when, when we look and we recognize, hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The Lord of glory. The only glory goes to the Lord. And do you see how that relates to partiality? Because partiality is assigning glory and worth to people. It's giving the glory that was meant to be given to, to God Almighty only and redirecting it to human forms. Elevating one person over another is misdirected glory. Say that again. Elevating one person over another is misdirected glory. I don't want to give away something that's intended only for God, right? I don't want to give something that was designed glory to, to a person when it's meant to be for Almighty God. I have a strange little uh, thing I've, I've realized about myself, and it, you already voted me in, so it's too late to back out. But, um, but I enjoy watching ants. Does anybody ever find themselves like looking down and kind of checking out little ant world? And it's fascinating just observing them. Kind of the uh, they, they march in lines together. They carry things together. They kind of, like ants are cool, right? And uh, uh, okay, so maybe I'm the only strange person. Somebody bail me out. Thank you. Okay, some people love ants. Uh, it does, doesn't it fascinate you too that that little creature, like what's giving that life? What's, what's keeping it moving? Those little, le you know, like a creator God almighty. But my, but my point being is looking down at the little ant world, how strange would it be if they landed and they decided to elevate one ant above another? Like, like you're like your ants. Like, why are you holding one ant in higher regard than another? It'd be strange. Like, if their uh, ants are getting out of the way to let this person, this other ant, pass by, or or they're giving a nice a nice jacket for one of the ants that's a style, you know? Like, 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 no. Like, I, this is where my mind goes when I'm working through the text. <laughs> like, that must be what Creator Almighty God looks down at us and must chuckle to Himself, saying. 
I'm the one, God speaking, I'm the one deserving of all glory and honor and praise. Not you, creation. That wouldn't make sense. That, 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 that doesn't make sense. But how quickly we choose to elevate one person over another, that should not be. And that's what it's saying here in the text. That, and, and, that, and I love it that Jesus did this. He, he didn't do any of that. When Jesus was here walking on earth, who did he spend time with? Everybody, whoever, wherever his day kind of took him, he elevated one. He didn't elevate one person more than another. He showed no partiality. Romans two eleven. For God shows no partiality. Let's not elevate somebody to a, a, a sign glory when it's not designed for them. Look in verse two as it continues to play out. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly. And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Convicting text there. James, an uh, example that he points out, notice that it says, uh, he refers to comes into your assembly. First off, making sure we're clear on that assembly was a, a gathering of believers. That's what he's referring to. And in, in, that, in that time, uh, the believers that were made up, uh, that made up the majority there would, would have been Jewish, obviously, and then also most typically poor. Most typically poor. If they didn't start out poor, this is a time uh, where there is a, quite a bit of, of persecution. There is, uh, when, if somebody chose to embrace Christ, they were ostracized many times from their family, from their community. So maybe even if they didn't start out poor, they became poor because of this choice to follow Christ. And so he's saying, man, when, when we're in this, when we're in an assembly of believers together, we can't be elevating this person that shows up that maybe has some degree of wealth left. I think it's interesting that, that back then, what was the, the symbol that maybe showed some degree of, of wealth? Rings. I thought that was interesting that so many years later, we still elevate somebody's wealth based on the size ring that they wear. And so... It says that in this house church, then, there was limited seating because I'm sure they're, they're crammed into small portions. And so he paints this picture of somebody coming in and being a showly, clearly showing signs of wealth with ring and, and, and clothing. And, and what happens? They gave them the elevated seat of choice. They chose to, to, to elevate that person. And then look what it says it does with the person that shows up with the shabby clothing. What, is it, what picture does he paint? It wasn't, it wasn't just to pay a little bit less, less attention to them, but, but he actually says that the distinction was they elevated the rich, but then asked the poor to sit down at my feet. Sit down at my feet. So it's more than being discourteous. It's elevating somebody to the, elevating yourself to the place above them. More than discourteous. A lot of us think of this partiality as like, that, that's not good manners, but it's bigger than that. Elevating thinking too highly of ourselves. And when we have an elevated view of ourselves, we then move ourselves to the role, what does it say? Become judge. When we think too highly of ourselves, when we elevate who we are, what, what happens? The pride sets in and we choose to make ourselves judge. We choose to make ourselves judge over others. 
I've noticed in our, 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 uh, our culture, and myself included, we're quick to become judge and jury. I jotted, jotted this tendency down. We observe, assess, conclude, and respond about somebody just based on appearances. And usually, and a lot of times, in a matter of seconds, we're quick at this judgment game. Like we, we observe, we observe, we assess, conclude, and respond all in a couple of seconds based on a lot of different things, based on appearances. And then the scary part is we make judgments concerning someone on, on a superficial basis and then act towards that person as though your judgment were accurate. So we make judgments about somebody and then we, then we treat them and respond as if the judgment that we had made was accurate, right? What a dangerous thing. But we do it all the time. We do it all the time. What are some different areas that, that we find ourselves judging? I was thinking through kind of a list of some tendencies of areas that we judge in the past week. The first one is this, finances. Finances. The car that someone drives, the house that they live in, their, 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 their financial position. And we see this, I was talking to a businessman this week is, is, and he was talking about how this is kind of reinforced in the, in the marketplace where on a daily basis, you're looking for that client that, that could finally meet your quota for the month. You know, you're, you're looking for that sale. That, and, and so that, that the culture that we're in elevates this and it's hard to turn that off in the life of a Christ follower. It's hard to turn that off the, when, when resources and finances become something that we determine and we judge somebody based on that. I feel like I've been on the, you guys here joked about it, but I've, I feel like I, I've sensed that before. I, I started saving for a fun car when I was 15. My dad can attest to that, worked at kitchen cabinets, I've mentioned that, and, and I've kind of built up, I, I buy and sell cars, flip them, and for 12 years, I'm actually in the positive for buying and selling uh, sports cars as kind of a side hobby. But I regularly feel that weight of someone being like, hmm, you're a pastor, but you're driving that cool car, hmm. How about that? Where, where's that coming from? You know what I'm saying? Like, like we have that, that tendency based on finances to not get the backstory, not, not hear, you know, not hear somebody's heart behind it and how, you know what I mean, something silly and whatever could go tomorrow, what, whoop-de-doo, but, but we, we, we make that judgment based on things like finances. How about this one? Appearances. Appearances. How quick does that start in our, in our life? Like thinking of, of junior high, high school, do you think there are there some assessments made in uh, high school based on appearances? Do you, do you notice that a little bit? Uh, you're like, yes. How, how, uh, the, the way that somebody dresses, is that noticed? Like uh, I remember in my high school days, they kind of placed people based on how they dress. Kind of you fell into different categories as like jock or, or nerd or, or, uh, or burnout. I don't think we still use terms like that. Uh, but, and quick judgments, right? Just based on, on goth person. Well, I don't know. Help me fill, fill in the blank. What are some of the... Yeah, goth person. I don't know. You, you get the idea, but it's funny. We, we joke about it like back in high school it used to happen. But how much we still do that based on... How about this one? How about good, who we assess as somebody who's good looking or not good looking? Treat them a little bit different based on, on, our, on our thoughts on that. How about appearance based on, on race? still happens. Race is definitely a driving factor. How quickly we can size somebody up 
based on their appearance. How about this uh, position? Position, where, what they're, uh, how they're held in, in high regard based on what they do. I was, um, John Spock was kind enough. I, I didn't see if John was here this morning, but he was kind enough to take me to a Clippers game. And we had like the, one of the first week that I started uh, on, on staff. I think I even mentioned it. We ended up in the sweet box seats. And, uh, but I was kind of intermixing with, uh, with folks that, uh, that I don't typically mix with. And the, the first thing that everybody asked me is they said, who are you with? I'm like, I don't know, Jesus? <laughs> uh, like, uh, and and they, kept, they kept asking me that. I kept get, getting asked that. So, so who are you with? And I'm like, I'm just a pastor along for the ride. You know, like, uh, I, I'm a, I love Jesus. I'm here watching this game. But, but it was fascinating to me in my, in my mind how many times I was asked, who am I with? I'm like, I don't know. Like, like we, we, we tend to elevate based on position, who you're with, what company, what accomplishments you've had in the marketplace. Like how quickly us, especially as men, have this tendency like, oh yeah, I've, I've, I've spent time with this, this company. I've been there. Like position is how we choose to assess and judge people. Or how about this within the, the church world? How about the, the judgments that we place on people based on, on spiritual maturity, Spiritual maturity. We're like, well, you're a newer believer and our group's been following the Lord for a long time. You know, like uh, we're, we're, in the, the, we're in the little bit deeper study. Why don't you get over, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it's weird, even in church world, we can get sucked into this judgment based on what? That, I'm pretty sure that's not God's design or, or plan for it, right? So, so spiritual position. But, or or di- different gifting along there. We, you can fill in a lot of spots under that category. But the dangerous thing is, so it's one thing to make, the, it's one thing to make assessments on people based on these things. But how about then the way that that forces us to respond? How we react based on those initial judgments. So we assess this about them. And then how do we respond? We tend to treat people differently because of these different things. We find ourselves, and I'm, ta- I'm, I'm preaching to myself here too. You start asking yourselves, well, well, what do I get out of this relationship? The interactions that I, how do I benefit from this? Like, you know, if, if we're really hard, honest with ourselves, with our heart of hearts, we ask ourselves th- some of those things. You find ourselves with the, the courtesy conversation for somebody that maybe you don't have something to gain from them. But then the, the, the really diving in and engaging with somebody that you think you do have somebody, something to benefit from. Notice exactly what the text says about this. That it says, you, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Judges with evil thoughts. Convicting stuff. How are we doing with this as a church? How are we doing with this as, a, as, a, as an individual? Have we become judges with evil thoughts? That's what God's word says. Verse five continues on. He starts pointing this out and just the insanity of it all. And uh, he says, listen, my beloved brothers. It's an appeal. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the, the but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you 
and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? It's a little, little pause for some logic that James is saying, wait a second, guys. Elevating the wealthy doesn't even make sense. He's saying it doesn't even make sense. Sense, Just think through it, through it logically. And I love it. He's like, listen, my beloved brothers. He's, he's saying the poor have a tendency to be the ones that are rich in faith. The poor have the tendency. Why are we trying to spend time with somebody that's wealthy when he's saying the poor are the ones that have a tendency and a bent towards a stronger faith? I uh, have uh, been blessed to get to go to Kenya a couple of times and I'll tell you what, like the like we make this assessment of like, whoa, they're just they have it really hard because they don't have all this stuff, you know. But I, getting over there, you get a little clearer picture of some of the the Christ followers there. They have full lives. They have very dyna- a very dynamic faith, and and this this daily dependence on on God for their daily bread is a gift. You know what I'm saying? So, so maybe our, our perspective on this is a little bit off, but I, I have noticed just in, in just our tendency, in my own tendency, that we start to feel sorry for the poor as if, oh man. The, the, but look what it says here. It describes them as heirs of the kingdom. Heirs of the kingdom. There's a special part, there's a special peace that God has in his heart for those that are impoverished, those that are going through financial hardship. It doesn't guarantee. It doesn't guarantee that you're that you're just because you're poor, you're you're going to heaven and you're a, a Christ follower. So notice the disclaimer: which he has promised to those who love him. There's still that love piece. Like there still has to be a relationship with Jesus Christ. But there is throughout Scripture just so many things pointing to God's heart for those who are poor. He goes on to say, like he says, why do you elevate the rich who tend to take advantage of you? It's, it says in the text. It says that they oppress you oppress you. Oppress, by by definition, is to show power over or belittle. To show power over or belittle. Like, why would we elevate the people that that are showing power over you or belittling you? He's just trying to appeal to their logic. We have to be so careful of this, even here in our, our present day and world. How it's so easy to, to elevate ourselves over somebody else. I've, I, I've noticed that in our, in, in our culture, just how easy it is to slip into that. To forget that the, that the, that the guy that, that's maybe trimming the bushes and mowing the lawn in our neighborhood is on the same playing field as the wealthy businessman that pulls in next to us. Like, what would God, how, would, how does God feel about that? How do, how do we respond to that, to that charge saying that, no, it doesn't make sense to honor one over the other? It's, it's, it's blasphemous to, to, to think that, that this person is worthy of more glory than the other. He goes on to say in the text, he says, uh, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? idea of the, the wealthy. And even think of it today, just in our culture, I was thinking through practically speaking, just in, in Hollywood, in, in, Cal, in California, like how quickly we are to elevate folks that they want nothing to do with Christ. They don't elevate anything about him. They, they blaspheme, blaspheme his name and word and in action, and we choose to elevate them. Like it, it just doesn't make sense. As that's the, his appeal. Elevating the wealthy doesn't make sense. Truth is, the wealthy just have more of God's money they're accountable for. 
jotted that down. Wealthy just have more of God's money they're accountable for. But I'll be honest with you, I do the same thing. It's so easy to get sucked into this. I'm, speaking from, I'm not speaking from somebody that's arrived on this. It's easy. It's, it's natural to have a bent towards elevating somebody that's maybe going someplace we haven't gone in, in our pursuits, right? We have that tendency. But the call here, the charge is towards ending partiality. Let's conclude here with the last section, seeing how serious God takes this all. Look in verse 8. It says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For who, he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And I love this section, verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And then I love the conclusion. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Breaking that down a little bit, I, I love the description there, the, the idea of the royal law. The royal law because it expresses the desire of our king. The, the desire of our, our king is that we, what does it say there? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. How many times have we heard that ring in our ears over the years? Love your neighbor as your, yourself. I love that the, the king that we follow, the king that we're giving our lives to, does things a little bit upside down. He does things a little bit upside down from the kingdom that we're in here on this earth. He does things a little bit different. Rather than, than elevating somebody else, he says, man, Elevate your neighbor above yourself. That's, that's the degree, uh, that's acceptable favorism. Acceptable favorism is thinking of someone else higher than yourself. Acceptable favoritism is when you choose to elevate somebody, be, like thinking of them as great as we think about ourselves. I uh, remember when uh, some years back, I got to... Um, I was a part of Willow Creek Community Church, and they had uh, the founding pastor, uh, Bill Hybels, uh, had a mentor, and his name was Dr. Belzikian. And my, my, I have a, a sister who uh, was friend, good friends with him. She worked at Willow Creek as well. And it was interesting. I, I hadn't had a chance to meet uh, this guy, just real humble guy, just behind the scenes, loves the Lord, just dynamic faith. And I, I had an opportunity to be at a birthday party that he was at, and uh, my sister's like, oh, when you're there, I'll have to introduce you. Just such a neat guy. And uh, when I was at the birthday party, it's always stuck in my mind because we were at the birthday party and we we're kind of looking around the room and, and, and there's this older guy there kind of back in the corner and he's behind the, the kind of the treats th section. And, and he was there, he had that little metal scoop. He was there just, just scooping ice cream, serving it to the kids, scooping ice cream, you know? Like, and I was like, that's really cool. That's really cool. This, this guy that has written a, a ton of books was just a, uh, a founder of this huge church deal. And, and, and there he was just, just serving ice cream, just like one of the other, any other guy. The idea of choosing, he was making the choice to not elevate himself, to put others above himself. What would that look like in our life? 
What would that look like in our week? I don't know, probably a little bit different. I know on, on my behalf, acceptable favoritism is thinking higher of someone above ourselves. The best way to combat partiality is love. The best way to combat it, but he, but he points out the idea there. He's saying, but this is serious stuff. This isn't a little deal. This isn't just like, maybe you should do this. That's good behavior. That's good manners. He's saying, he elevates it. He says, uh, he, he elevates it to the point of like, this is, this is as serious of a sin as, as any other. And what, if this sin makes us just as guilty as any other sin, that's his point there. It says, for he, he who, in verse 11, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And so his point being, any of this makes us guilty. It all makes us guilty. But then he moves on past that, and he says this, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. We had a fantastic elders meeting this Thursday night. Just so you guys know, we have some great men that are, are leading this church that love the Lord. We spent some time getting in the, in the word uh, this, this past Thursday. We spent a lot of time talking about that little section right there. Thought it was cool. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. The law of liberty is the gospel. The gospel. What if we were to so speak and so act as somebody that's basking in God's grace and mercy? What if we're to, to, to speak and to act as somebody that's on the receiving, of, uh, receiving end of God's forgiveness? Because when we, uh, when we actually let that sink in, that we're, man, we're a sinner forgiven in God's grace. All of a sudden, when we're basking in his grace and we're in his mercy, we're a lot quicker to extend it to others, right? When that saturates us to our very core, when his mercy is washing over us, how can you do anything other than extend his mercy to others, right? When that really resonates in our mind and our life and our, our heart, when that soaks in, the natural act would be then to extend it to others. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. So speak and so act as those who are living under God's amazing grace and forgiveness. That's the key to all this. I was uh, just thinking through this and, uh, and received a, a great email reminder just about like, so what do you, what do, you do with all this? Because a lot of times the book of James, you can kind of take all these challenges and just kind of beat yourself up and be like, man, I stink. I stink with trials. I stink with, uh, with, with absorbing God's word. I stink with uh, the way I respond to temptation. I stink. Anybody else get like that a little bit after a while? And, uh, and, and so, but, but I think we're kind of missing it there. We're kind of missing it if that's our response. The truth is, all of these things, these truths from God's word, is what it is, is it's educating and training our conscience so that the Holy Spirit has something to work with. So that the Holy Spirit has something to work with. So that when you're, when you're out and you're, you're dealing and you're talking with your business friends and you're feeling, con the, you know that you let something slip out that you shouldn't have said, that little nudge from the Holy Spirit that's like, you shouldn't talk like that. That's not how you should be speaking. 
Like, like that's, the, that's the gift of all of this, is when we start to absorb these truths, then it gives the Holy Spirit room to work. And all of a sudden, the, the freedom that comes from just a life with not cluttered with all this junk, a freedom that comes with that is amazing. And so if we see it as this like keeping on of more and more coals, we're missing the point. We're missing that, that God's plan. When, remember how I defined righteousness last week? Right living. Righteousness, right living. God's plan for us is to live right and to live in a, in a freedom. And so allowing these things to educate our, our conscience and then making the choice to walk close enough to the Lord where he's able to speak these truths into your, into your life. And just, just saying like, man, I, I'm going to keep on. Man, if I could send any message to you guys this morning, just make sure you're, you're chasing after your relationship with the Lord. He'll bring these things to mind appropriately, right? Well, instead of just trying to beat yourself up and I need to fix that and I need to fix that, walk close to the Lord. Live, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, of those that are, that are under God's amazing grace and forgiveness. And then it says at the end, it says, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Like we, we should be extenders of mercy. And then I love the conclusion, the freedom that comes with this is that mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What is the, what is the typical Church of America known for? Being judgment, right? Being condemnation, judgment. We're, we're so quick to, to judge. But what if we turned that upside down and we got to realize that, man, we're just extenders of mercy, like that's a, what, what a gift that would be. Can you imagine this valley? Like we couldn't find enough seats in this place if in ABF, if we were known as mercy triumphing over judgment. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing? Can you imagine this place? You'd be pushing people out the door and then it'd all be shot anyway. But, uh, but, uh, but, but what would it look like if, if mercy triumphed over judgment? What would it look like in your life? What would it look like in your week if you chose, instead of assessing somebody based on their looks and their success, if, if you just chose to be somebody of mercy? Like, I don't know their story. I don't know what they've been through. But man, I'm going to just do a good job of just loving them, you know? I don't have to solve them and I don't have to fix them. I'm just going to love them. Like, what would that look like? God could do some amazing things in and through us. Do you guys believe that? Man, if mercy triumphed over judgment in ABF. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your word. And even though sometimes it's, it's hard to read because it hits us in areas that we don't even want to admit we have a problem in. I just thank you for the way that we dig into it and you shine the light in, in dark closets and rooms that that we haven't opened a door to in a long time. I pray this week, God, that you just do a, a work of convicting in our, our lives, in my own lives, God, about this area of preferential treatment, that we would not judge people, that you would just change us, that you'd mold us, that your Holy Spirit would give us the appropriate nudges to see some growth in this area that we'd be walking close enough to you, that we'd be staying connected to the vine so that we can actually hear that voice. God, I pray that you'd rid the busyness and the craziness a, a way that, that keeps us 
from staying connected with you, God. We thank you for your patience with us and your kindness and the mercy that you've just bathed on us if we've embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I pray for anybody here this morning that hasn't made that choice. They don't need to leave here under judgment. They can experience that same mercy and forgiveness that you offer. We just lay this all before you, recognizing our complete dependence on you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. <laughs> to be honest, you guys, there's a lot of freedom that comes when you're not playing judge, right? It's like a big weight off. And so I pray that this week we live in that freedom, that we choose to treat everybody the same. It's just easier, right? That's my prayer. God bless you guys. If you need prayer, we have elders up here available for you.